This B-Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E. We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, my flex learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Cybertraps podcast. I am Jethro Jones, host of the podcast Transformative Principle and author of the book School X, How to Redesign Your School for the People Right in Front of You. I am today coming to you from Missouri because I'm traveling and excited to be doing that. And I think that's all I need to say. Go ahead, Fred. I am Frederick Lane, an author, attorney, and educational consultant based in New York, and I haven't moved anywhere just yet. I'm the author of 10 books, including most recently Cybertraps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyberethical Kids, and Cybertraps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Jethro and I have teamed up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising from the use and misuse of digital devices. Over the coming weeks and months, we'll be talking to some of the world's leading experts from the fields of education, parenting, sociology, cyber safety, and today, preventing ransomware. Join us as we look at what it takes to better navigate our increasingly high-tech world. We would like to give a shout out to Buoyancy Digital. Buoyancy Digital is proud to be the inaugural mission partner for the Cybertraps podcast series, a digital advertising consultancy with an ethos. Buoyancy was founded by Scott Rabinowitz, who has been in digital media since 1997 and has overseen $300 million in youth safety compliant ad buys across all digital platforms. For IAB, Google, and Bing accredited brand and audience safe advertising sales solutions, media buying, and organizational training for media publishers, reach out to Scott Rabinowitz and Buoyancy Digital at buoyancydigital.com or at Scott R Media on LinkedIn. Hello there, Jethro. Hey, Fred, good to see you again. Excited you for too. you today. We have uh, Greg Edwards, who's the CEO of CryptoStopper, and I'm excited to hear more about him. CryptoStopper provides ransomware protection by detecting and stopping actively running ransomware attacks. 
And this is something we've talked about on the podcast a few times already. And they offer 100% ransomware protection, which uh, is an interesting idea. One of the things that we've talked to ma many people about so far is that we should not pay ransoms on ransomware. Greg, welcome. What's your answer to that question? Should people pay so, ransoms on ransomware? So they absolutely should not. Thank you for having me. Uh, yes. So they absolutely <laughs> should not, but sometimes there's no alternative. Uh, so these ransomware attackers, a lot of their techniques now include wiping out the backups as well as the, the data that's, that's on the system. So if you have no backup and all of your systems are wiped out, what uh, what's the other alternative? Sometimes yeah. there just is no other alternative. Well, great. Well, so we're kind of launching into this, if you don't mind, for our listeners. Let's do a quick overview on ransomware and kind of how you got involved in this. Yeah. So I previously owned an offsite backup and disaster recovery company called Axis Backup. And back way back, this is uh, almost 10 year anniversary now. Um, I started seeing the first ransomware attacks hitting our backup clients back in 2012. And the very first ransomware that I saw uh, was a, they were demanding a $40 ransom, <laughs> which, yeah, which is laughable at this point, right? That's, that's hysterical. Yeah. And, and so I've seen the evolution of ransomware from the, or there, there are versions of ransomware that go way back into the nineties that were on, uh, on floppy disks, but the, the modern ransomware really evolved from the availability of cryptocurrency and, and Bitcoin, uh, is the most common way that those get paid. And when you think about the, the fact that these criminals can get paid completely anonymously from anywhere in the world, that that's what's driven the cyber crime that we see today and, and especially driven ransomware. Uh, okay. I, there's something I don't understand then, because I thought that part of the advantage of cryptocurrency was that everything is logged into the blockchain and that it identifies who paid for what. So how, how are they able to then be anonymous if it's logged and you can go back and track the exact it, person who purchased it, and sold? So it's a, it's a, it's a wallet number that they have. It's an encrypted code. So it's not tied to a human being. And so that's what makes it completely anonymous. Now you, I mean, you can, if, if the person wanted to, you could tie your name to it, but no criminal is going to do that. So it's entirely, so that is all tracked. You can actually see, uh, the dollar amounts that are in the wallets, but you don't know whose wallet that is. Hmm. Yeah. That's really fascinating. So, so hmm. a company would then get a wallet and put money in there and transfer it to another wallet that you could identify and say, we know exactly where the money went, but then you'd have to still figure out another way to, to know who that wallet belonged to. Correct. And there's okay. no, and that, that's the benefit and the downside mm -hmm. of cryptocurrency. So Greg, in terms of, uh, the, the whole concept of ransomware, what are the leading mechanisms by which people are getting infected so that they have to 
start figuring out cryptocurrency? <laughs> yeah. So the number one is still email. So started out as very much an email, just like any other malware. Uh, the primary vector was through email. And that's still over 50% still through email. Um, but then other vectors are through malicious websites, through what, what we call a hack and attack, where they'll actually hack in to the system some other way and then perpetrate the ransomware. Um, but email is the, the most common still. So how, how big of a problem is this? I mean, is it, is it only impacting corporations? Do people get attacked by it? And how, how far does this extend? So yes, (laughs) it, it, it's affecting, um, I mean, it's affecting everyone from individuals to corporations. Um, all the way up. So just today, uh, there's, two, I mean, the feeds are blowing up with Apple being ransomed now from one of their vendors, uh, one of their suppliers that was ransomed, didn't pay the ransom. And now they're going to Apple directly to try and extract $50 million from them. Uh, so it, you know, it's the largest corporations, it's government entities all the way down to grandmothers. Well, yeah, actually, that's interesting because I I deal with a fair amount of information and material related to fraud on the elderly. And this is a huge, huge problem. You know, I, I don't know if this is something you've seen in the work that you've done, but I have been hit with an absolute flood recently of Instagram login spam. Um, probably three to five times a day, I'm getting a, you know, please click here to reset your password kind of thing. You know, so just a shout out. To- yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I actually haven't seen that in Instagram on my on mine anyway, but yeah. it doesn't surprise me. I mean, at one point, um, Facebook had over a hundred and thirty thousand accounts compromised a day. So, oh, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure my mother's is every day (laughs) well i'm already a friend i could (laughs) yeah no it's crazy stuff look you know fortunately i don't have the kinds of issues that tim cook has this morning yeah i'd like to right i'd like to have some of his other issues (laughs) not not this one particularly well we all know so so you with with crypto stopper right you're you're out there basically offering a hundred percent guarantee. How does that work? Yeah. So, yep. So what we do is we watch for that encryption activity. So we're, we're monitoring the system and our, one of our, our slogan is that you can't ransom what you can't encrypt. So if they can't encrypt it, then they can't ransom you. And so our system, and it was designed this way from the beginning, detects that act of the files being encrypted and stops that activity. And you were able to intervene quickly enough in order to less than a second. Yep. Nice. Interesting. Yep. Um, yeah, because it reminds me in some ways that, you know, there have been companies out there, right. Who have offered this kind of offsite encryption as a mechanism of doing backups that are protected from the government and what have you. Carbonite was the one yep. that I used for a long time. It's, it's funny now that that encryption has become almost a sword against people. Yeah. Well, so that's my, 
history, my background actually was I, I previously owned an offsite backup and disaster recovery company that we did exactly that. And we were doing so many full-on recoveries because of ransomware that it made, you know, that industry was maturing, actually started that in 2007 um, before the cloud was even, we were doing cloud backup before the cloud existed. <laughs> I put that in quotes in air quotes, but the, the whole reason that I started Crypto Stopper is because we were seeing so many of those attacks. And even when we could recover, which we, you know, we were always able to recover people because ours were offsite and encrypted, but it's such a huge disruption to the business. It's a minute, especially when you're talking about an offsite backup, which you want, but then to get that back on site is time consuming with, with our system, we would spin up our clients in a cloud environment. Um, where they could actually run from our cloud system it was pretty novel in 2007. It's, you know, it's just common now, um, but back then it was pretty novel and it would still be a, you know, a two to four hour disruption and a huge disruption to their workflow. And so it, it just became evident to me um, around the 20, probably 2014, 2015 timeframe that ransomware was just going to be a nightmare for the business community and, you know, all the way down to grandmothers. <laughs> so, so as you're, you're helping people with this, what are the things you already mentioned that email is a vector that is probably the most common one. What are the other things that you're seeing that are leading to people being susceptible to this? And I don't know if the susceptible is the right way, but you know, making them easy targets, I guess, is what I'd, how I'd clear. Yeah. Well, I mean, so a general lack of cybersecurity is the first thing. So the other vectors that they come through are malicious websites are what I, what I call a hack and attack where they'll hack into the system with the intent of encrypting files. So as opposed to a data breach where they are would just steal the data. Now they're hacking in just with the intent of, of encrypting and ransoming the data. Um, so there's, so in crypto stopper is not the silver bullet for all cybersecurity companies still need to have and individuals need to have good cybersecurity practices and our recommendation. And I will always recommend this to have a full security stack. Um, and I know, you know, for individuals, what does that mean? That's much different than it is for a school system or a corporation or a government entity. But even at the individual level, people need to take cybersecurity seriously and use good passwords, have two-factor authentication. If they have data, which who doesn't anymore, make sure that it's backed up somewhere other than just connected to your local machine on your computer at home where your three kids are also using it. <laughs> no Don't kidding. I think that that piece is is super important. Now, is backing up like using Dropbox or Google Drive or something like that? Is that sufficient, or do you need something something you, else? You need something else. So you need a cloud backup of your cloud drive. And there's there's one called Backupify that that I would recommend for Google and. Uh, Microsoft OneDrive. Um, I'm sure there are others for Dropbox and for the other cloud solutions, but you need to have a backup of those cloud systems also. Is it possible um, in these ransomware situations for these cloud 
collections of data to get encrypted as well? Absolutely. I mean, it's, and the issue is, is that most, most systems now, or most modern systems are, the data is going to be encrypted already, but you as a user, so Jethro, when you're signed into your computer, you're unlocking that encryption. And same thing with all of the cloud drives that you're connected to. Well, what an attacker is going to do is they're going to take over your computer as you. And now those files are all unlocked and available to them. And then they'll encrypt everything that they can get to, which is going to include your cloud drives. Yeah, I, that's interesting. And it, it seems that this is becoming more common. Is it becoming more common because there's obviously there's money in it, but are people becoming better at, at ransomware and it's proliferating because it's easier than, you know, trying to sell a data breach or sell an exploit? What, what are you seeing there? Well, it's, it's quick money. That's why, <laughs> um, that, that's the whole thing. I mean, so transition that's happened once cryptocurrency became available is that the hacking business completely changed. And I call it a business because it is a business model and these criminals are making millions and millions of dollars. And so prior to 2012, which is when Bitcoin became mostly available, the attackers that were out there kind of the, what we think of as a, you know, a kid in a hoodie in his mom's basement, right? Just hacking for the fun of it. And there were state state level actors that there were other intellectual property stealing, things like that. But after 2012 is really when the profit motive came in and the ability to get paid completely anonymously. And these cyber organizations started popping up that really, when you think about organized crime and what it used to be and what it is today, really, that's how I think of these cyber criminals as organized crime. I had actually seen something recently, and I'd have to dig up the reference that suggested that a, a non-trivial revenue stream for North Korea was this kind of ransomware attack. Absolutely. I mean, to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars. The bunkers. I mean, that at some point then, obviously, it becomes a national security, kind of global security issue. You need to approach this at the state actor level as well as at grandma's level to try to deal with all this. Right. Yeah. So the, the damage, the estimated damage 2023 is $2.1 trillion from ransomware. That's larger than the GDP of a lot of countries. Quite a large number. Of countries. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Huh. We've become so much more reliant on technology during the pandemic. How has that influenced the rise in uh, ransomware attacks? So the increase, and I, I don't have, I, I've heard this anecdotally, um, but a sevenfold increase between 2019 and 2020 is the, the amount that I have heard of the increase of ransomware. And a lot of that is because when you think about where we've transformed to everyone working from home, you take away that that wall, the firewall that we had been building as IT departments around our corporate environment, and you completely throw that out the window mm -hmm. and say, okay, everybody go work from home, figure out how to connect. I mean, that's essentially what we did as in across the entire world in March of 2020. And it just annihilated a lot of the cybersecurity that was starting to be put into place. 
And one of the challenges, of course, that entities and organizations face is that if they've got people working from home, now their security is only as good. And this is what I think you're alluding to. Their security as a networked organization is only as good as the security on the various nodes that are tapping in. Correct. And that that transition was happening and there were companies that were doing it properly because there are systems that can be put in place to to manage that, but it didn't happen when I mean, actually it was more <laughs> April, like this time last year when everybody said, okay, figure out how to work from home. Here's your laptop or even people carrying their desktops out of the office to go work from home. I mean, it, it, it just completely changed the dynamic and made it much easier for the cyber attackers. So I was a, a principal when the pandemic hit and we closed school for what ended up being the rest of the year, but we thought it was just going to be a couple of weeks at first. And we, nobody was prepared for doing lessons online or, you know, working from home or any of that kind of stuff. And there, there wasn't support for that. And so a lot of people have had to scramble, like you said, have, have had decreased security because of it. And so for those situations and, you know, talking about normal everyday people, you mentioned a security stack. What are some of your recommendations for what that does look like for a regular everyday person? Yeah. And, and are you, are you, are you talking the individual home user and what they yeah. should be doing? So certainly, so the very first thing is making sure you have an antivirus that is up to date and is more advanced than just Windows Defender. So there's a free version of Windows Defender that's included, but make sure you have a better antivirus program and then make sure that you're updating Windows and patching. So all of the security updates that come out. Make sure that those are being installed and that you're rebooting your computer at least once a week to make sure that those updates get installed. Uh, and then beyond that, making sure you're cognizant of what you're clicking on in email. And I know that this, you know, it's not, it's not that easy because, you know, Jethro, your, your email could be compromised and you would send a, an email to Fred and Fred would think, oh, it's from Jethro. No problem. I'm going to open mm -hmm. that. Uh, so it's really hard, but make sure you're not just clicking on everything that comes through. And Fred, it sounds like your mother is not easily trained on that, but <laughs> you, you could work on it. <laughs> and, and, and since I know she doesn't listen to this, <laughs> happy to agree with. You. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing is good password management, two-factor authentication. And so those are the four big things. Um, patch, good antivirus making sure your systems are up to date, don't click on just everything and then have a good password manager and password, password protection plan. Um, so password managers, let's talk about those a little bit. Are those, um, secure? Do those get broken into? How do you know how to evaluate a password? So, <laughs> yes, yes. And yes. Uh, so it's better than not. So definitely, so the, the concern with a password manager is, oh, I put all these passwords in there. And then if somebody hacks into that, then they have all my passwords. Well, those are very secured systems. The, the password manager that I use is a, an application called 1Password. And I have a good, yeah, yeah. It's a great, and it's very secure. The issue with it being very secure is then it makes it more difficult 
to get into <laughs> and and yeah. you have that that balance between uh user friendliness and and security but um having a password manager is better certainly better than not yeah and it's one of those things where you have to make the decision of yes you can keep all your passwords written on a piece of paper that you put in your pocket and take with you or lock in safe every single time and that's certainly a way to do it but you know you you bring up the piece about convenience versus security and I got a new computer recently and for a split second, couldn't remember my one password, password to get in. And I was like, wait a minute, what am I going to do? So thankfully I, I did remember it quickly, but it was one of those things where you're right. It was, it could be difficult to get in, which, which is what we want. And that's, that's not the only thing, but it's, it's definitely something that we want to certainly pay attention to. I, I think the other thing that I'm curious about that is some of these things seem seem really challenging to do if you're not technically savvy. And so as they as companies make them easier to use, then they also, you know, might be easier to exploit. Is that is that the case that if it's easy to use, then it's gonna be easy to get into? Um, not always, but that is that's kind of gen the general rule, but that's changing. And Companies, I mean, there's lots of companies out there working on the identity and access management space and making that easier. And really, uh, in my opinion, the best way to get there is to eliminate passwords and go to exactly, I don't have mine on today, but I see you have your Apple Watch on, uh, Mm -hmm. making, integrating that login to some sort of biometric connection so that you take the password out of it and it's identifying the machine and then some other way for you to biometrically log in to all those passwords. And we're, we're years away from that, but that's where we're going. Well, I I actually, honestly, Greg, think that's creeping up pretty quickly. I mean, when you look at what Apple's doing with iOS 14.5, they're linking the iOS watch to the iPhone for the purposes of opening it up with masks on. You know, so as long as you've got a watch on and you're looking at your phone, then they're going to give you the good to go. Yeah. And that, that's exactly how I see the evolution of the, the login. So there's a thing called single sign on that is tying all of that to get all of the different components that you would ever log, you know, all the apps that you log into tying all of those back together through that single sign-on so that once you authenticate through your watch and we know it's you, Fred, then you can get into all your apps. Right. So it's, it's kind of a, you know, amateur futurist. Then I start thinking minority report. We're going to start having collecting <laughs> eyeballs. <laughs> you know, look, this thanks Fred. Let's, yeah, right. Now, <laughs> have, have a nice snap on the flight home. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> well, seriously, though, you, Without going so apocalyptic, kind of one flew over the cuckoo's nest, um, you know, a more significant and more realistic aspect of this, getting back to our buddy Tim Cook, is that what we're doing is creating these silos of technology. You know, Jethro and I were talking about, you know, this PC Mac division, which has existed for years, but now you're going to devolve into, you know, iOS, Fitbit, whatever your particular brand of choices. And you're, you are going to be locked in because think of the challenges of changing all of these sign-ins. For sure. And, and the way, the way that, that I see that 
being overcome is through standardized protocols so that we're not just locked to an Apple watch. Like you have to have an Apple watch. It could be a Fitbit or it could be a Samsung watch or it could be, you know, any other. And, and yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to try to speculate on (laughs) where that's going to end up and who's going to (laughs) win. Well, but you know, you raise an interesting point though, because you know, there have been instances in which that has worked out. So, you know, for image formats, you get standardized formats like JPEG and GIF, and I'm not even going to get into the fight over how to pronounce it, but then also portable document format, PDF and so forth. Yeah, absolutely. And that's really what we need. And that those do exist now. And as long as that standardization and protocol that's open continues to evolve and continues to be open, then we won't end up minority report (laughs) (laughs) okay so we we can you know we're at a crossroads we can figure out which way to go but but realistically greg i mean given the amount of time and work that you have um, devoted to this area in the short term where do you see security issues going what kind of trends do people need to be aware of in terms of their personal or their organizational security yeah so i see ransomware just continuing to get worse. I mean, they're making so much money and there's now uh, what what is called ransomware as a service. So these ransomware attackers that are building the ransomware, they're packaging it and selling it just like software as a service to other less technical hackers. And so the dark web with, with the dark web, and we won't even try and go in and explain all of, all of that at this point, but all of these attackers are all in what's called the dark web and there's marketplaces that are completely anonymous. They're buying, selling everything from drugs to shoelaces. And I I don't see that going away. So really what it's going to take is it's going to take individuals, corporations, governments, educating themselves on what are the best cybersecurity practices and implementing those full stack cybersecurity measures. And what's happening within the industry is that companies are consolidating down. So companies are going to make it easier for school districts and for everyone else to be able to implement that security stack. We're, we're still a few years away from that, but that's coming where you'll be able to buy that silver bullet mm tool set that you implement and makes your system secure. There's no, you know, not, not going to always lock out every, everything, every time, but you're going to make yourself so much more of a hard target. And that's really what companies need to do right now is make themselves a hard target. Yeah. And, and as I was doing research for, for this show, um, I, checked out the website for crypto stopper and you have some tools on there that I thought were, were good. One um, is basically a port scanner. One is a, a thing that's looking for brute force. Can you talk a little bit about those tools that you have? Yeah. Available? Yeah. So the port scanner is just to make sure you don't have open ports on your network. So when we say open ports, that's a, that's a, a way in through your firewall to access something. So just making sure those are closed. The other ones that we have out there, we actually have a ransomware simulator. So you can go and actually Here. test. test. <laughs> <laughs> I did the description for that. And <laughs> there's a big red note. Do not do this if you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> That's right. I mean, 
<laughs> Can we have a white hat reassurance here? <laughs> yeah, we've actually made that tool. We've actually built that tool now into our portal so that users of our software can actually schedule and run ransomware attacks against themselves in a safe manner to make sure that all of the security is working. So yeah, all of those tools are just great ways to test your own systems and to, you know, not, I definitely recommend having third parties come in and evaluate and do penetration tests and do those kind of things. But you should be doing that yourself as a as a network admin or security admin, you should be testing those things yourself and then also hiring those third parties to then come do it. Yeah, and this is an area also, especially as it relates to schools. And I think we'll, we'll wrap up after this question. Schools have an IT officer and they have somebody who might be doing security, maybe, but they typically don't have like a chief information security officer for a school district. And certainly small districts have a hard time affording that kind of an expenditure to have someone there full time. Is there a, a step in between where they can work with someone to help check and test as a consultant type piece, but then is there training they can get to help their IT professionals become more uh, security aware and things like things they can do to stop that? So yes, but heavy sigh, <laughs> there, <laughs> there, there aren't enough of them out there. Um, and that's, and it's, you know, it's very expensive. So really my recommendation, uh, so if you can get it, if you can get it in the budget and you can do it, absolutely hire that third party to come in and evaluate and help the district to step up their cybersecurity stance. But that's unrealistic in a lot of cases. So education, I mean, getting the, the local IT guy educated and educating the, you know, whether this is at a school board or the administration within the school or a board of directors of a corporation, making sure that they are educating themselves and understand this risk of cybersecurity. One thing that, you know, when you're in a small district, you know, sometimes you can only hire the people within the community. And so your IT person could be the youngest person over 18 that's in the community, you know, that's, that's a very real thing, especially when I was up in Alaska. And so they started outsourcing a lot of their technology to companies like GCI who help provide those managed IT services. But the reality is you're right. There's, there's a lot of challenges face facing those kinds of places for sure. Definitely. And, and I come back to the education piece. I mean, there's so many things that people can do at little or no cost to educate themselves and understand what they should be doing and really from a within a school if you think about a school district uh making sure that the administration are getting the right reports like you there's so many things that you can do and get in a one page executive summary that if the right people just understood those components it makes your security exponentially better but while i served for 10 years on a school board that is a heavy lift <laughs> <laughs> And I, you know, I, I spent most of those 10 years being the tech guy on the school board and I yeah. still wake up in cold sweat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it, it is. I, you know, I have seen a change recently where CEOs and I, I, I don't work in the education system much, so uh, much more on the corporate side, but I'm definitely seeing CEOs and boards 
taking this much more seriously, asking for advice, educating themselves, and, and that will trickle down to the education system. I agree with that. And, and we saw that, to be fair uh, to my colleagues and to the, <laughs> the members of the school community, that you know, I got on in 2001 when this was all just sci-fi for a lot of folks. And by the time I got off a decade later, 2011, we had iPhones, social media was beginning. So you could see the educational process uh, taking place. So you know, I think, honestly, Greg, in terms of the work that you do, it will be interesting to see if there's a generational improvement um, over time. Yeah. You know, unfortunately so far we haven't seen that. So, and the younger generation, so those under 30 are more likely than those over 30 to reuse the same passwords. Oh, really? That's a, yeah. Which was surprising to me. Um, I mean, it's a difference of like 70% for those over 30 and 73% for those under 30, which is ridiculous, but (laughs) that's still. But still, still, but still, <laughs> well, Jethro, anything else to uh, toss out? No, I just, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. A really fascinating conversation and um, look forward to staying connected with you in the future. I want to remind people, if you want to check out his company, CryptoStopper, go to getcryptostopper.com. Is that the best place for people to go, Greg? Yep. That's the best place. And um, on LinkedIn and Facebook too. Okay, great. Oh, thank, thank you, Ted. Really interesting stuff and uh, obviously incredibly cutting edge. So I wish you the best as you go forward. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. It was fun. It's a pleasure. That wraps up this episode of the Cybertraps podcast. In the coming weeks, we'll continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct, cyber safety, cybersecurity, privacy, and the challenges of high-tech parenting. Along the way, we'll talk to our growing collection of international experts, for helping us to understand the risks and the rewards of digital technology. You can find the Cybertraps podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. We hope that you will share the show with your friends. And if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones and Fred is at Cybertraps. If you're still listening, you must have loved this. So please leave us a five-star rating and review. And we look forward to seeing you on Monday for our live show. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet tier one standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com B to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve these goals. That's IXL.com B-E.